Happy Sunday, everyone. So Nancy mentioned we were on to a new book, and right she is. We're using The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown this month. And you may have seen her on the, the PBS special. You might have seen her on TED Talks. Uh, and her thesis, her idea is something that we might think of as being powerful in us is our very imperfection. And so we're going to be talking uh, throughout this month about this idea of imperfection. But before we go there, I want to start with perfection. And so if you're willing, I'd like to do this uh, by means of a little bit of a guided meditation. So um, if you like, close your eyes. This will only be just a few minutes. And what I'd like you to do is in your mind's eye, imagine that you're out on a glorious summer evening. The sun has set. You're a ways outside of the city so that all the ambient light is gone. And what you see stretched before you and above you are just the heavenly stars. And as you look and as your eyes become accustomed to the darkness and the sparkle of the stars, you begin really to see why it's called the Milky Way. Those stars without without number and all of their light are creating such a beautiful milky way. Individual points of light, yes, but such a panorama, such a sense of beauty and wholeness and perfection. Without being able to count them, you know that just the right number of stars, of course, are there. It's beautiful. Some of them, of course, clear and white. Some of them flickering with red and green. All of, the, all of God's palette at use in creating that amazing starry night. It's beautiful, it's perfection, it's infinite. As though a glowing necklace on the throat of the goddess. I invite you to return to the room and in your own time, of course, you can open your eyes. When I think of perfection, this is certainly one of the pictures that comes to my mind. Can you imagine a night sky that is somehow more beautiful than the real one? Do you know what I mean? It's like every star has got to be in its perfect place. The, the, the flickering, the, the twinkling. I mean, we, we try, you know, during the holidays to imagine we can duplicate it through twinkling lights and things like that. But the majesty of the night sky is, of course, not surpassable in our, in our humanness. It is truly perfect. Well, today we're going to talk about imperfection. And I thought a great place to start is a joke. <laughs> so the preacher was halfway through his sermon on humility and obedience to God. Now this has got to be a different preacher than this one. But, but anyway, halfway through his sermon on obedience to God. And he decided maybe he better wake people up a little bit. So he decided to do that or oration kind of bombastic style. And he said, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect woman. Anyone who's present who has ever seen a perfect woman, please stand up. And he's just bellowing out of the crowd. And of course, they're a little startled, but no one does a thing. 
So he says, or a man, he shouted, those who have ever known a perfect man, stand up. Well, after a longish pause, certain, sure enough, there was an elderly gentleman in the back of the room that stood up. And the, the preacher says, really? So you think you've actually known a perfect man? Well, now, I didn't know him personally, replied the older gentleman, but I have heard a great deal about him, God rest his soul. He was my wife's first husband. <laughs> so what is this idea of perfection? Could it be that perfection on earth is defined by each one of us? Now, the stars are one thing, right? The stars are certainly perfect in the heaven. But are we perfect here on earth? Do, do you have that sense of walking through a perfect life every day? I got to tell you, I have my struggles now and then. Life seems to show up as anything but perfection. And I'll tell you the secret. I'll tell you why it's that way. I'll tell you why, even as we pray and claim for ourselves perfection and light and goodness and love, it doesn't show up that way. The reason it doesn't show up that way is because we are the cleverest creatures on the planet. And I'll, and I'll be more specific here. Do you know what really sets us apart from most of the other animals on the planet? It's our ability to very carefully recognize patterns. It's one of the things that really sets us apart from the other animals. And, and I'll use an example from uh, centuries ago and a more, current, uh, a more current example. The centuries old one was... What kept us literally and physically safe was our ability across a sea of grass to recognize a little pattern of ruffles that meant a predator was heading our way. And being able to pick up on that pattern, which we had seen before, knowing that a, a lion or a tiger or whatever it is, is causing that little unique riffle or ruffle in a sea of grass, that is what kept us safe. It was our ability to recognize a certain animal sound in the, in the jungle or on the plains, uh, or even our ability to listen for patterns, literally, of, of sounds if we put our head next to the ground and could, and could hear a buffalo in the distance. That really saved our lives. It meant we could predict when food was around. It meant we could predict when something dangerous to us was around. And in an instant... We could react to it. Okay, so let us move forward a few million years maybe and talk about something more current. Have you ever been in the position of out driving in your car and you see a little flicker just on one side, like in your peripheral vision you're driving, a little flicker and you hear a little bit of tire noise and suddenly you have pulled up short. Do you know what I mean? You have stopped the car and did you have to think about it? Not really. Not really at all. There was that little flicker out of the corner of your eye, which might have been a pedestrian, might have been a car coming your way, something that represented a, a bit of a hazard, a bit of danger. There was that noise that you easily identified as the squeal of tires. You put these two pieces together. You see a pattern that represents danger in the car. And what do we do when there's danger in the car? We break. We do something that's safe. Now, did you have to think about it? 
Not really so much. You didn't say, oh, now, gee, I wonder what that flicker on the side of, you know, it could have been a pedestrian, but it could have been a bird fly. You didn't stop and say that. And when you heard the squeal of the tires, you didn't go, gee, I wonder if that was in the street right next to me or if maybe it would. No. It's like you were able to put it all together in a second and reach a conclusion and take an action. Now, the truth is, Maybe that flicker in the eye was a bird, and maybe the, uh, the tire noise was from three blocks away. Maybe you didn't need to do a darn thing, right? But we're kind of programmed for safety in that way. Okay, this is what makes us so uniquely clever as a species, which has made us so successful. And you know what? It's also put us right in the middle of the mud. Because we use that same pattern recognition every day of our lives, and we come up with the strangest, most morbid and strange conclusions <laughs> nearly every day. Let me, give you, let me give you some other examples, right? If, if our child goes off to school and comes back with a few poor grades... We see a pattern here. Oh, my son maybe isn't very good at math. He's no good at math. We'll see a pattern. A, a friend of ours uh, goes out and we see her dressed in three or four bad outfits. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> kind of things that don't necessarily quite go together. What's our conclusion after three or four times? She's not a very good dresser. We begin boxing people into situations and ways of being based on how, patterns of how they look, how they dress, where they live. We see patterns and behaviors. I, I remember uh, when I was growing up, our next door neighbor was named Murph. I know, the poor guy, but that, that's another story. And I remember a couple times my mom saw him being clumsy around our house, and from then on, she referred, well, not when he was there, but it might as well have been when he was there, as clumsy Murph, right? We are so quick to come to conclusions based on a few things that look like they start a pattern. Well, I've got to tell you, it's not saving our lives when we do it around other people. Do you know what I mean? It's not predicting where the food's going to be or that a mastodon's bearing down on us. It simply brings us to the place of making judgments around people that may or may not be true and may or may not be helpful. And what it does is it brings us down from our spiritual perfection. In God, we are perfect. In God, nothing needs to be done to change us. Our, our spirit, our consciousness is perfect. Uh, don't all of us have a sense that we're the same person now that we were 25 years ago or 30 years ago? or Well, depending on how old you are, I guess we, we won't go back too far. But since the day you were self-aware, there's at least a part of you that still recognizes yourself, that still seems the same. Now, the outside may change and how we relate to it may change, but that is the part of you that is whole and perfect. That is the part of you that when one of our practitioners says perfect God and therefore perfect humanity, that's what they're referring to you. It is your consciousness. It is your higher wisdom self. It is that part of you that is unchanging. That is your perfect nature. And when we start using our ability of pattern matching and making judgments, what we're doing is we're, we're kind of trimming that away. We're kind of knocking that down a bit because there was a time that it was probably helpful for us. Not so much now. 
Now the good news around this is that we can use some tools to try and find perfection in our lives once again. The bad news is that if we live in those places of judgment, if we live in those places, usually one or two things will happen, and especially when there are judgments about ourselves. Especially if you're that little boy that people brand as clumsy, or if, or if you're that woman or man that someone says has no fashion sense, or whatever it is, what happens is you will tend to do one of two things. You will either become a perfectionist, Meaning that you'll be on a quest to ever get better at that. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and you'll never get there because the perfectionism in you will always wanting to be improving things. If you're, you're the one uh, that was uh, perceived as clumsy when you were young and you're the, now you're the perfectionist, you will try out for every sport. Not necessarily because you like the sport, but because you know the physical training will make you less clumsy. You know? And if you are the, the, uh, the person who was perceived at not being smart in first grade or whatever it is, and you're the perfectionist, you'll always be taking classes, you'll always be working to prove that they were wrong. Trouble with this, of course, is you're never done, right? You can always be smarter, you can always dress better, you can always be more uh, uh, whatever it is, right? And so your work is never done, and oh my God, the job of being a perfectionist is exhausting. But it has a counterpart too, because for those people who become perfectionists, there are an equal number of people that just check out. When they are told that they were not smart enough in second grade, then they said to themselves, well, the heck with school then, that's not my thing. When they were told that uh, after showing up two or three times and their outfits didn't match, they said, well, you know, this isn't just for me. I'm more of a casual person anyway. It's sweatpants and sneakers, and I'm fine with that. And the trouble with this is, of course, when you just hang up a whole part of life, you're disconnecting from the, the people and the options and the possibilities that exist. When you say, well, then school just isn't for me, oh my gosh, the things you miss from checking out and not being present for school. When you begin the idea that you're not lovable or not worthy and you just check out thinking that the right relationship is never going to be there for you because that's what everybody says and you've come to believe it yourself, oh my gosh, who's hurting here? It is us. So more than anything else, if there was only one thing to be learned today, it would simply to be not putting that weird pattern-matching judgment thing on yourself. It's not good to be a perfectionist, and it's not good to check out. The, the middle ground, the balance, is to be fully engaged in life and okay with the occasional thing, of course, that goes wrong, that isn't right in your life, the, the thing that doesn't seem like you're very good at, who the heck cares? Only you. And if you caring is going to stand in the way of your life being happy, if you caring is going to stand in the way of you being um, successful as you are, loving as you are, sweet and adorable and, and all of those things as you are, then the only one that suffers is you, of course. 
you're the one creating the mess and, and you're the one living in it. And oh my gosh, have I been there before? Have I been there before? Now the good news, the totally good news about recognizing that in our humanness we're imperfect is there are some wonderful tools for helping us deal with it. And I want to spend the rest of our time talking about them. And the, the, there are three of them primarily that I want to focus on. The first one is simply courage. Does anyone know where the word courage comes from? It's one of those with a Latin base, and, and the, the word C-O-R in Latin means heart. And in fact, those of you who have studied a, one of the Romance languages like Spanish, corazón it means heart, the, the core and courage. And so originally, courage didn't mean slaying dragons. Originally, courage didn't mean some athletic feat or something like that. It meant bringing forth your heart. It meant the kind of courage that we use when we want to tell someone that we love them or, or maybe when we want to tell someone that we've failed in some way, when we want to tell someone that we're not perfect, that we had a, a bad day or made a mistake or something like that. That was the original sense of the word courage. It was putting our heart right out there for someone that we care about to see. That was courage. And if you think about it, when we share our imperfection, when we share that we had a bad day, when we share that something went wrong or that we did something that we're not proud of, it does a couple things. One, it kind of gets it off our chest. And, and if you're at all like me, now and then just telling people what happened makes me feel better. I don't even know the mechanics behind this. There's probably some biochemical engineer somewhere that can talk about endorphins and the release of in endocrines and things like that that will tell you the mechanics behind it. But what I know is that when I have had a rotten day, when I'm feeling some, some shame or discomfort in myself, if I share it with someone who really cares, I simply feel better. So that's the first part of it. But the other thing about this level of courage is that it is a true sharing of yourself. It's inviting intimacy. It's inviting someone to um, let you in a little bit further. You're in essence saying, I'm not without flaws. I have my own issues and I care enough about you to share them. I'm vulnerable. I'm in that place of vulnerability. The second tool that we can use around imperfection is simply compassion, and it's the flip side of courage, right? Because when someone shares with us in that unique way, allowing you to see some of their vulnerability, to see maybe a weakness or, or something that went poorly, what do we do with that? We're compassionate. And I do want to talk about compassion here for a minute because I see different flavors of what passes for compassion out there. And I, and I got to tell you, compassion for me is just sincere listening. Do you know what I mean? I'm not expecting you to fix my life. I'm not expecting you to diagnose my life. I'm not expecting you to wade into my life. I'm not expecting anything more than if you love me, if you care about me, you will listen and let me know that you've heard what I'm saying. And frankly, 99.9% .9 of the time, that's sufficient and wonderful and heartfelt. Occasionally, I might want some help. Occasionally, I might want some aid, and, and, and I'll ask for it. 
But why don't you wait? Why don't you wait until that person that loves you actually asks for help? Up until then, the compassionate voice is simply one of acknowledgement. It's also not about a sort of one-upping. I, I had the occasion of calling a friend not too long ago, and I was kind of pouring my heart out. I had a miserable time trying to return something to Fred Meyer. Now, I'm not Fred Meyer bashing here, actually. They usually do a really good job, but, but I was trying to return something that was completely unused, and like the receipt was too old, or I don't know what it was. They were giving me a really hard time, and I came home, and I called a friend, and I was just telling her about what a miserable day I'd had trying to do something so simple and it took all morning and it still wasn't finished and how I was frustrated and she said oh that's nothing I tried to return something wherever and it took all day and I mean your little stories hardly and I'm going wait a minute here <laughs> this isn't compassion I guess she's hearing me but she's missing the point do you know what I mean? The compassionate heart recognizes that I'm unloading a little bit because it's useful for me and it's also useful to be the compassionate listener. Which leads us into the third part of, of the gifts of imperfection which simply is connection. When you are courageous with your heart and that is met with compassion, it creates a connection that cannot be denied. And this is that connection that is right back into your higher wisdom self. This is the connection that is forged on a spiritual level, and that is what elevates us back to perfection. So the very tools that we can use for interacting with each other in terms of imperfection ultimately are what bring us back to truth, what bring us back to that commonness that we all share as human beings. It brings us back to the perfection of our own soul. And it does it through something no more complicated than courage, than compassion, and than connection. So what is the idea of a perfect human? I think it's being okay with how we show up warts and all. Do you know what I mean? The idea of a perfect human isn't any different than, than seeing the perfect stars out there. And in fact, I want to I talk about that a minute. Because in our humanness, we could easily find fault with those stars. Remember we started with a meditation and I said how beautiful the stars were. Well, some of them are getting ready to go supernova and kill all the life around them, right? And some of them are at the very end stage of their life and will actually be going extinct. And again, no more light to the planets around them. Some of them emit so much radiation that life can simply not exist anywhere near them, right? These are the perfect, lovely, wonderful stars we were talking about at the beginning, right? I'm pattern matching. Do you see that? I'm seeing a pattern in the stars and then I'm judging them as being bad, right? We're no different than the stars. Yes, we have warts. Yes, some of us are older than others. Some of us have any number of flaws and yet we are perfect. There is a perfection in our heart and in our souls that cannot be denied. And when we share each other, 
When we really come from the heart, when we take that courage and put our heart out there for the people that we love, compassion will follow, connection is strengthened, and we are all elevated. So a bit of homework today, if you're willing, because I think the most essential part to this that I almost threw out as a given, it's given, right, that you have someone you can talk to that way. And uh, I got to say, I'm not sure that that is a given. So your homework this week is to uh, imagine in your own life who it is that you have the courage to share with in this way. So you're going to be sharing something that is, is intimate. You're going to be able to share something that perhaps is a fail, failure on your part. You're going to be willing to share not only just the successes with this person, but also some of the trouble. And know that that person has the capability of the compassion and connection that will follow. Now, it might be a spouse, it might be a best friend, it might be someone you haven't talked to in a really long time, it might be your brother or sister who have moved away, but I suspect there's someone in your life that you feel you can share this with. And so the homework is to really recognize that person in your life and know that you can use these three C's to approach them, that it is the courage, the compassion, and the connection that will elevate you both. That's your homework. I'm going to close with just a a lovely quote from the end of the first chapter of this book. Brene Brown says, The wholehearted journey is not the path of least resistance. It's a path of consciousness and choice. And, to be honest, it may be a little counterculture. The willingness to tell our stories honestly feeling the pain of others, and to stay genuinely connected in this disconnected world is not something that we can do half-heartedly. To practice courage, compassion, and connection is to look at life and the people around us and say, I'm in it 100%. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe that is this thing that I call life, And what I know about life, of course, on high, it is perfect. It is that beauty of the night sky. It is the perfection in the cosmos. It is the infinity of all things. And and it's also me. (laughs) It's me showing up as I show up. It is each person in this room, perfect in soul, perfect in spirit, and full of the eccentricities and unusualnesses that make us all human beings. And that itself is perfect. And so I know each person here can focus in on that ability to be courageous with sharing our emotions, that we can focus in on being compassionate, truly listening without judgment to our friends and our loved ones. Each person here can feel that connection of one soul to another growing stronger. This is life. This is the the gift of imperfection even in our perfection. I'm grateful for this, grateful always to be here in the presence of God, showing up as all of these people, grateful for life. I just let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. Thanks so much.